Hello and welcome to the Apostolic Church Liverpool podcast. We hope the message you're about to listen to will inspire you, will be a blessing to you and give you perspective in life. For more of such messages, you can visit our website at www.tac-lona.org.uk You can also access other messages and resources from our YouTube channel, The Apostolic Church Europe. We hope you're blessed and inspired by today's message. God bless you. Here's the message. His children. Next slide. So all of these events were culminating in something going on in his heart. Remember, he was at the monastery. Of course, when he was getting them crazy at the confessional, spending hours every day confessing since they decided to send him to go and teach theology. So that if you are busy teaching, you won't be coming to confessions every time. <laughs> so they sent him to Wittenberg to teach theology. And again, when he got there, he was exposed to a library. And for the first time, he saw the Bible written in the original Greek language um, that had just been translated by Erasmus about a hundred years before. And so he picked that up and began to read and also reading the works of St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers. And the works of St. Augustine led him back to the Bible to read about Papos to Paul and all those epistles that we've been joining through in Bible study. And he stumbled on this interesting phrase, the just shall live by his faith. The more he considered many of the things he was seeing from Apostle Paul vis-a-vis what was going on with the sales of indulgences, you do this, you do that, you pay some amounts, you get something, and you hope that with that thing, you have a reduced sentence. It was even getting to the point whereby you can begin to pay for your loved ones that have gone ahead of you, so that when you pay like that, they tell you, the, the catch line is going to be on the slide shortly, is that as soon as the coins are dropping in the jar, their soul is springing up from purgatory and going into heaven. So it has become more or less a marketing strategy. And he saw it as you're just raising funds to go and build one majestic empire in Rome. It doesn't make any sense. And all of these things was going on in his mind and in his heart. Next slide. And so by this date, exactly on this date, 504 years ago, he became really angry (laughs) and wrote, 95 arguments, 95 theses, we call them now, and scribbled them down and went to the door of the church. Um, It wasn't vandalism to nail something on the church back in the days. The church door is the notice board. And he nailed the thesis there, hoping that he would invite some people in the community into a debate about these things. Let's talk about these things that is going on. That was his sincere mind. That was all he wanted. But of course, this happened at a time when the printing press had just been invented. So people are able to reproduce things. And in two weeks, his 95 thesis was everywhere in Germany. In a matter of a couple of months, it was everywhere in Europe, literally. And everybody was beginning to have some thoughts about the things that they've been doing blindly without necessarily thinking. Could there be another gospel? Could there be another way? that I can be in a relationship with God that is not based on the righteousness of my own, but on the righteousness of another. Because that was what he was finding from the scripture. Next slide. And that was part of what he was um, 
beginning to teach. I just thought to give us an excerpt into some of those pieces, those lines of arguments. This is number 21. It says, therefore, those preachers of indulgences are in error when they say that by the Pope's indulgences, a man is freed from every penalty and is saved. It's wondering how, how could just the fact that the Pope signed something makes it valid for me to believe that I will be eternally saved. This is number 27. It says, they, pre they preach man-made doctrines will say that as soon as the coin jingles into the money box, the soul flies out of purgatory, or as some other versions put it, as soon as the money in the chest rings, a soul from purgatory springs to make it rhyme, as it did rhyme in the German language in which he wrote it. This is number 62. It says, the treasure, the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and the grace of God. It's not about works. Ephesians 2.8. Let less than a man should boast. This is number 92 and 93. Away then with all those prophets who say to the people of Christ, and this is actually a verse from the Old Testament, peace, peace, and there is no peace. Because I think it was Jeremiah or Isaiah that made that prophecy, and he was talking to the then leaders that were telling the people, don't worry, everything is okay, when in fact, <laughs> nothing was okay. And again, then he twists it around and has his own and says, but blessed be all those prophets who say to the people of Christ, cross, cross, look to the cross, cross, cross. And there is no cross for you in the sense that the cross we are talking about, Christ has died on it. And that was towards the very end of those 95 theses. These arguments, this invitation for a debate sparked up something that disturbed the whole empire. And so next slide, in 1518, he was invited to debate those theses with some Augustinian monks. By 1519, the best Roman Catholic theologian of the time, Johann Heck, debated with him and boxed him up to a corner because the main argument of Heck was that, all right, the main argument of Heck was that all these things that you are saying, We've believed it. The church fathers have said it. The Pope has said it. The this has said it. And Luther had to fight back by saying, they may have said it, but it's not in the scripture. And so the scripture became the only thing he can hold on to. And that's part of what gave back to what we call scripture alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, on the basis of scripture alone. By 1520, he was labeled a heretic. And then he was invited to come and face the greatest council you could ever face at the time, the powers that be. The emperor himself was there. The bishops were there. And just one gentle man, innocent man, so to speak. Of course, he wasn't as innocent as I'm saying. If you read some of the things he writes, he's a fiery writer. He writes angrily, as angry as he was. But in any case, in 1521, he was sent to that to a village called Worms, where all these people were gathered and he was asked to recant. Next slide. And I'm getting back to David's story shortly. And they told him, they presented all the things he has written before him and said, are you the one that wrote all these things? He said, yes. And they asked him, the only way you can continue to be a part of the church is if you recant these things. And he said, okay, give me 24 hours to go and think it over and pray about it, and went and he prayed a very beautiful prayer that is well publicized in literature. I won't get into that. But he came back 24 hours later, and he said these words. 
unless I am convinced by scripture and by plain reason and not by popes and councils who have so often contradicted themselves, my, my conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand and I can do no other. So help me God. Amen. And on that basis, next slide, it was excommunicated from the church and the rest is history. They thought that was going to be the end of it, but of course, the story still continues because we are here today because of one man that faced the powers that be in his day because of the status quo that was not satisfactory. The reason why we could enjoy many of the privileges we enjoy today is because a man that literally had no harmies behind him chose to stand, take a stand against what seems to be impossible. And of course, that's led to the birth of very many other things that we are seeing today. Back to our text, Isaiah 55, the everlasting covenant that God said he was going to make with David. And back to our topic, battle for the top. For every new levels, there are new devils. I discovered that there are so many similarities in the life of David with whom God made this everlasting covenant of sure mercies that made him ever so outstanding till tomorrow. So David cannot be forgotten in the history of the world, not just the Jewish people. And indeed, it's the same thread of thoughts that I see. If you go back to when David faced Goliath in that interesting battle amongst all the other battles, perhaps because he was still very young, he was just a teenager, a few years older than Paul, probably Shemilere's age mate, by the time David stood before Goliath to fight him. And we know that story, so I won't get fully into it. But Goliath had been terrorizing the armies of Israel for 40 days. Give me one man, and I will come and fight him. If I win him, all of you will be our slaves. If he wins me, all of us will become your slave. And all of them were jittering. But one young man, whose dad sent to go and give food to his brothers? That was all that landed him in the war front. And he was like, what's going on here? And he got to know. And he decided to take a stand to what seemed physically impossible. The Bible says he went into a brook and he picked how many stones? Five stones. And I've heard a man of God write a very interesting book titled Facing Your Giants. And he made some points from those five stones and I'll wrap up on them. Next slide. Five stones. The first one he called it the stone of the past. Based on everything that just David did in that passage, the stone of the past. You remember that it was brought to Saul. Saul said, hey, you want to go and kill yourself? David said, no. The God that I serve has delivered me from a lion before. He has delivered me from a bear. I believe that this man will go down like this lion and bears. He looked back to when God was faithful. And that was helpful for him. Martin Luther did the same. He looked back to church history. He looked back to the works of St. Augustine. He looked back to the works of Apostle Paul. There is something in your recent past or distant past that drips the faithfulness of God. Hold on to it. I don't know what you're going through now. I don't know what battles are in your hearts or that you're fighting. But I know that God has been faithful before for you. Remind yourself of that. Second stone, the stone of prayer. He didn't just go straight to Goliath. He went down the valley, picked up five stones, and began to say words of assurance about his trust in God. He communicated with God. 
don't face your giant until you have faced God in prayers. Whatever the giants may be, death, death, whatever it is, is able. The third, the stone of priority. Priority in the sense that if you listen, go back and read 1 Samuel 17. If you listen to David's words, it was clear that he wasn't doing this just for self-aggrandizement. He found it offensive for all of them that caused themselves armies of the God of Israel to not be able to do something. He wants to uphold, as it were, the glory of God. And that must be our aim. That must be our priority. If it is not, then it's faulty. That is God really, glorifying God really, the real reason behind whatever it is that we are fighting as a battle at whatever level we are in. Number four, the stone of passion. He didn't run away from Goliath. The Bible said he ran towards him. You see the same thing in, in Luther, very passionate, even to the point of excessive anger, if you will. And lastly, the stone of persistence. Someone said, why did David pick up five stones? Was it that he was doubting that if he threw the first one and he missed, he would throw a second one? But some people that have studied the Bible more than myself said, actually, in the Philistine gang that day, Goliath was not the only giant. There were five giants. And each of those giants eventually were killed. And his thought was that if he killed Goliath, the others will come. And he had a stone for each one of them. Of course, in Second Chronicles, next slide, I think it's Second Chronicles, Second Samuel, rather, chapter 21, you find the names of those other four giants and how they were killed. They were all there that day. And David was ready for them. He knew that when you kill one, another one will rise up. Whatever you are going through now, if you win that battle, another battle is coming. It's the reality of life. But will you be persistent in applying these same principles? And lastly, lastly, if I could say everything that I'm trying to say in a nutshell, this is it. For Luther, 504 years ago, it was an ordinary day. He was an ordinary man, an imperfect man that had an unwavering faith in an extraordinary God. And that faith in an extraordinary God was all that made a difference. For David, 2,500 years earlier on, it's the same story. An ordinary boy, a teenager for that matter, that was sent to go and give food to his brother. Ordinary guy, also imperfect. He was an adulterer. There are many flaws to his life, but yet God said it is with him that I've made an everlasting covenant of sure mercies. An ordinary man that has faith in an extraordinary God. So when you focus on that God, not only will your giants fall, you'll find yourself being, as it were, a God in a manner of speaking, in the sense in which God said to Moses, I have made you a God over Pharaoh. Let's just bow down our heads and talk to God. Next slide, as we pray. I don't know what you are going through, really, as I've said earlier on, but I just want you to remind yourself right now of an instance in your life when God has come through for you. An instance in your life. Hold that first stone before you leave this service. The time when you made an application that you thought was going to go south and God made it north. <laughs> the time when you had a debt that was seemingly unpayable, and today the debt is a thing of the past, the time when you had some 
humongous tuition fees or whatever staring you at the face and you're wondering where will I be able to get this and God has come true for you the time when you had nothing whatever that looks like and yet the one who has everything made provision available hold on to that and say to God I believe in you I believe in you I believe in you I believe that you're real Hebrews 11 6 that they that come to me must to him must believe that he is and is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him father god we thank you this morning because your word has come forth we thank you because you are alive we thank you because you're powerful we thank you for what happened on the, on an ordinary day 504 years ago that made it possible one way or the other for us to be gathering together like this sharing from your word in english language we thank you for david 2004 2,500 years ago for what you did through him in bringing down Goliath. And we come standing on those two watershed moments in history to say, we believe in you. We believe in you. Come true for us as well in our battles at the top in the name of Jesus. To you be all the glory. In Christ Jesus' unfailing name we've prayed. Amen. God bless you.